So later this week, the Pac-12 is going to have its football media day, and the biggest headlines from that will be discussed next week on the show. But uh, going into that particular day got me thinking, which coaches are under the most pressure or on the hot seat in 2022 in the Pac-12? Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play by play broadcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. I appreciate every single one of you out there who have done so already. I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs. Helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions do indeed apply. On the one hand, I'm excited for Pac-12 Media Day. And on the other hand, I kind of know what to expect. Every coach is, be- is going to be doing their best impression of whoever their respective favorite politicians are. Because what politicians do at least somewhat well, or at least well enough to the point where they get elected, is they don't answer questions that they don't want to answer. And there are going to be a lot of questions this week, this Friday, about realignment. And I guarantee you, none of those coaches want to answer a single one of them. They're going to have to say something. It might be a Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here so I won't get fined situation, but they'll have to say something. And I guarantee you they would rather talk about the upcoming season and, you know, which teams are going to be good and how they gonna how are they going to be better than last year and what about this guy or that guy. And I'm sure those questions will be there, which is what's going to be more fascinating. But the first question every coach is going to face is going to be something about realignment. I guarantee you every coach who's sitting up there at the podium in his head, not out loud because from what I understand, they're all pretty nice guys. Though I could see Chip Kelly being a little... Uh, a, a little short with a media member if he gets asked a question about that too many times. Um, most of them in their head are, are going to be going, oh my gosh, can you just ask me about anything else? But that's not how it's going to go. They'll have to get through it, and I look forward to all of that. But that's later in the week, and uh, media day right around the corner got me thinking. Some coaches are under more pressure than others, and I think first-year coaches, one of whom I'll talk about to uh, to end the show today, First-year coaches have a different sort of pressure, but I think overall it's it's lessened. But I think someone like Kalen DeBoer, who I'm going to discuss uh, on, the, on the second segment of today's show, is not under as much pressure as, say, Dan Lanning at Oregon because of the situation that they are inheriting respectively, or Lincoln Riley. I think Riley, very clearly amongst the new coaches, has uh, got the most pressure. Well, let's go through the coaches who have the most pressure who have already been there I think only one is on the hot seat, but I think two should be at least wary of the fact that they might accidentally bump the seat warmer in their car to to make it a little bit toasty. Number one, and this is the only coach who I think is actively right now on the hot seat, that's Herm Edwards. I was uh, recording an episode for the future when I'm on vacation for a couple weeks with uh, Richie Bradshaw of Locked on Sun Devils yesterday, and he uh, 
told me something that that was a uh, he called a conspiracy theory and I said I don't think that's a conspiracy theory I think that's just a theory. Arizona State this offseason has been under NCAA investigation, recruiting has tanked. They've been obliterated by the transfer portal, though they do have a top 20 portal class coming in uh, with some decent players and a pretty high volume of players coming to them from other uh, Division One programs from across the country, ranging from Miami to, uh, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of them in there. I just know one of them is from Miami. I think the highest rated defensive lineman is from uh, Miami. But anyway, so he said that the only reason Herm Edwards is still around is so that if the ship bottoms out and uh, gets to the bottom of the ocean or lake, whatever body of water it's on this season, and the Sun Devils do really poorly, they could fire Herm Edwards and and have him be a scapegoat there. But he has won some football games in the past several seasons, and so there's the off chance that his, uh, his presence and game management is enough to win them some games this year. And maybe the new staff he has around him, a new offensive and defensive coordinator, are going to be able to help the situation. But basically his idea, which I think I agree with, is that you set it up so that if things go really poorly, you can quickly jump off the ship before it goes down, get on a lifeboat off the Titanic, dump Herman Edwards as a coach, and then uh, hire somebody else. I think he is the, the coach who first and foremost is on the hot seat. I'll be interested to see you know, what sort of questions he gets asked this Friday about that situation, not necessarily the the recruiting violation investigation and other words that end with I-O-N in the English language, T-I-O-N, but uh, also just what he's, what he's going to say about everybody leaving via the transfer portal. Not everybody, but they lost something like 27 guys from last year's team, combined losses between the NFL draft and the transfer portal, and that's a lot. And there's just not that many returning starters. So I, I wonder how much he'll he'll talk about that. And it just generally speaking, you know, what, what his expectations are for the season. Because, I mean, what expectations can you have for Arizona State? It, it just it can't be all that high, but it should be because of the coach you hired for the program that, that you are at. But he's the only one who's actively on the hot seat. And it's not just because recruiting has taken a dive. I mean, that, that's contributing to it. But at the end of the day, he is not winning the way that the Arizona State expected him to when he was hired uh, to replace Todd Graham. Todd Graham, in his first three years as head coach at ASU, and it went downhill a little bit afterwards, but his first three years, he had seven wins, or excuse me, he had eight wins. 10 wins and 10 wins. He got off to a blistering start, right? Had some nice wins with Mike Bercovici as a quarterback. Like there were some good things happening there. And then that was clearly the peak and it fell off a little and then it plateaued and they decided to go in a different direction at the time. That pretty much looked like the right move. Herm Edwards in his first three full seasons. And again, for no coach, do I in a legitimate way count 2020 because it was barely even football. His first three full years, he's got seven wins, eight wins, and eight wins. When you hire a head coach as a football program at the Division I level, but frankly, I hope, at any level, and you are hiring him because you decided to part ways with the previous coach who, in your view, was not maximizing the potential of your football program and winning enough games, and you bring in a new guy, and his first three years feature fewer wins than the previous guy 
and then things start to trend downward, that creates a hot seat situation. I, I think Herm Edwards is pretty clearly there. He, I mean, he was hired to be an upgrade, and he's clearly not. I, I, I think there's enough evidence at this point in time where you can look and say, no, he doesn't need another year or two. He's had three full seasons and, you know, three and a half to whatever. And, I mean, ASU's fine with him. They're not, they're not terrible. They haven't been terrible. But at some point, you want to take a step forward, right? Like, like that's what we're trying to do here as as an institution. That's what you should be trying to do if you, if you care about football and you care about your fans who are taking the time and uh, supporting the, the program with their money and such. You should be doing that. And if you're looking for somebody to fill a job at your company, LinkedIn is the place to go. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post on LinkedIn in minutes to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. It's a lot of individuals. Then add your job and a purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word so you can make it easy to find the right people to hire. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Nearly 40 million a week. There's a lot of qualified candidates out there. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I don't think it's an incredibly hot take to say Herm Edwards is in the hot is on the hot seat. Um, but it is a fascinating discussion when you bring up Herm because that resume that he has, seven wins, eight wins, eight wins. There are other schools that would give him an extension if he didn't have an NCAA investigation. And maybe ASU would be content with that because they haven't been a disaster with him there. But it kind of feels like we've seen the ceiling. An eight, maybe a nine-win program. But does it seem like Herm Edwards is going to be able to steer the ship in a direction that gets you back to the 10-win mark? I think the answer is no. Another school that has got a head coach that I think should be a little bit more on the hot seat but clearly is not is Cal with Justin Wilcox. And because for reasons I can only attribute to Cal having some pretty low standards for what they deem as success on the football field, it doesn't even feel like he is under that much pressure, right? Herm Edwards is the only coach in the conference who is, you know, before the first game kicks off on the hot seat. That could change by the end of the year, right? If Chip Kelly doesn't have the sort of season that, that UCLA should, which better be at least eight. It should be at least nine wins, frankly, and I think it, it could be 10 with the way their schedule plays out. If that starts to go south, his seat will get really, really hot, and it should because if they were to finish under 500, there'd be you know, a lot of losing football in the time he's been there. But Justin Wilcox, it doesn't feel like he has that much pressure on him. And he got a six-year, $20.5 million extension this year after he was reportedly offered the Oregon job. And I think the Ducks, uh, in some ways, dodged a bullet there. I, I think Dan Lanning has got a higher ceiling as a coach than than Wilcox, who I think is a really smart and respected defensive mind. But I, I just haven't seen it yet. I, I haven't seen it to the point where you know it feels like a program bigger than Cal should, should want to hire Wilcox. Maybe he can turn that around this year, but... In four and a half seasons in Berkeley, he's 26 and 28. I mean, that's pretty pedestrian 
and giving a six-year, not just any extension, not a two-year extension to see if he can write, or a three-year, give a six-year extension to Justin Wilcox. If you're Cal, the message you're sending there by giving him a six-year deal, and maybe the buyouts are more manageable. I'm not a contract expert, and I haven't read the whole thing word for word. But the message you're sending there is you feel that this guy is someone who can take your program to a, to a much higher level than where it is now. They haven't been totally awful since he's been there, but they haven't been great either. It certainly has not been a, a rapid or dramatic turnaround. He did have one more, or he did have more wins each of his first three years. And then the pandemic year, like whatever, they were one and three, but eh, like, okay. And then this past season though, you're coming off of a 2019 campaign in which you went eight and five and dealing with the same challenges everybody else was. The fact that they were under 500 in 2021 with the teams that they lost to. I mean, the reason Cal didn't get to a bowl game this past year, didn't get to a bowl game after in their previous two full seasons, getting to a bowl game, which is a solid place to be. Like, I don't think Wilcox has been a total disaster as a hire. Like I said, he went five wins, then he went seven wins, and then he went eight wins. But they took a step back in 2021, and that's a concern. But the Bears athletic administration doesn't see it the same way I do, wherein that he should have some pressure or expectations coming into this year that you're at the very least going to be over 500. Because are you telling me that that eight and five season in which they won the Red Box Bowl, which for Cal, solid football season for sure, like that, that's fine. Are you telling me that is the pinnacle of Justin Wilcox as a coach? And one of the reasons he said he turned the Oregon job down was uh, there were a couple things. Number one, that there were some uh, conditions and uh, you know coaching hires and situations that that he wasn't totally on board with, and he kind of wanted to do things a little bit more his way. And then the second thing he said is he feels like they're building something at Cal, and he wants to be a part of it, which is what you want to hear from your head coach if you're a Cal Bears fan when a more prestigious program comes and offers your guy the job, a place where he went to school and played football, and he says, no, I'm I'm good here. So that's great and all, but last year, I, I don't think it get to, gets talked about a ton because Cal is not a, a top-tier program and hasn't been, for certainly in the entire existence of the Pac-12, but even going back to the Pac-10, like they had a pretty nice run with Jeff Tedford. They had a, season, or a, a stretch where they went 10 wins, 8 wins, 10 wins. Like that, That's being at a high level, so it's not like it's impossible to win up there in Berkeley. It's tougher than other spots, for sure. It's one of the toughest jobs in the conference, but I, I, I just I just feel like if if he goes under 500 again this year, which I think he should, you shouldn't then start ramping up the pressure. I, I think you needed to ramp up the pressure before the season if if you're the Cal Bears, not after, because you go eight and five in 2019, come back five and seven this past year, and again they they started the season one and five, they went four and two down the stretch. Three of those wins were against teams that finished under 500. The one uh, over 500 team they beat was Oregon State, which in the Pac-12, good solid win last year. Like, good team for Cal to to be able to say that you beat. But the reason Cal missed a bowl game, they lost to a 5-7 and seven TCU team by two, and they lost to Nevada in their season opener. Like, that that alone is concerning, that you lost to Nevada. That That is... 
put 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 up the red flags here a little bit. And uh, I, I think that last year, because it was Cal, didn't get discussed a ton. But I think the Bears, I think that was a big time letdown season. I, I think there were bigger expectations. I thought there would be, and now because of situations or, or yeah, situations or um, circumstances, the word I'm looking for, somewhat outside of Cal's control, and that's Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon and the Ducks coming in to offer Wilcox because of a whole whirlwind of uh, of chatter from alumni and past players. They they maybe felt like they had to offer him this big extension, but just just on the surface, say it out loud, 26 and 28. A six-year, $28.5 million extension. I, I don't love that. But it doesn't feel like there's as much pressure on him going into this year as there should be. But if Cal has another sub-500 season, I, I don't know how you could look at that as as the Bears administration. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. Maybe they will. But if I end up being right about how I think their season will play out, I, I don't know how... Uh, I, I don't know how... I know, well, I know how that contract will look. But I don't know how it's going to sit with the athletics administration where they're going, well, maybe maybe we shouldn't have given that contract or anything. Maybe we were a little early on that. But if Cal comes out, wins eight, nine games this year and surprises everybody, then it might be viewed differently. Last coach who's got some pressure here, and I think it's slightly lessened. Compared to Justin Wilcox, but mentioned him a little bit ago here on the show. Chip Kelly's got to have some level of pressure, right? Number one, their schedule is really easy. You have to have at least eight wins this year if you're Chip Kelly. And that would be a little bit of a disappointment, but overall not bad. You have to have eight wins. UCLA only plays four road games this year. That's not a lot. Not four conference road games. They are. They all are conference road games, but all three of their non-conference games are at home, and they should all be wins. And their conference slate, they don't have that many tough matchups. It needs to be at least eight, if not nine or ten wins this year for, for Chip Kelly. Because, I mean, he just got an extension, too, after having been tied to uh, the Oregon opening that ultimately went to Dan Lanning. But if UCLA comes out and flops this year, and they go six and six, how do you not put him on the hot seat? I mean, seriously, go look at their schedule. It's pretty darn easy. And in the coming weeks, I'll be going through everybody's schedule here on the show. I already went through Stanford's a while back, though. Uh, a lot of you were not following the show at, at that time, so might go through their their schedule again and, and do a season prediction there for for their record. But um, yeah, I, I think there's there's at least a semblance of pressure there. I, I think that's it in terms of coaches who could no longer have their jobs. I think the at the end of the year or in at, at the end of 2023. I think there's a different kind of pressure on a guy like Lincoln Riley, or there's a different kind of pressure on a guy like uh, Dan Lanning, where they need to win at a high level. But if they don't win the way their fan base and uh, university is hoping that they will in year one, they're not going to get fired. Like that's not, it's not going to be a hot seat discussion. It's going to be, okay, you need to start showing some improvement going into the next year, but I I think both will be fine. Uh, But chip, you know, if they, if they were to really flop hard without a major injury, you know, like if DTR gets hurt, that goes out the window. That's kind of the only major injury where you can point to like, you know, wide receiver or even Zach Charbonnet getting banged up or someone on defense. Um, Every team is going to go through attrition at some point, but if if the Bruins were to go four and eight because DTR gets hurt in their first game and is out for the year, 
that's a little bit of a different story, but you also have to be able to develop more than one quarterback if uh, if you're Chip Kelly, should that happen. Not Certainly not rooting for that to happen, of course, but uh, it is a possibility TTR has, has been hurt uh, before, and he's a mobile quarterback, so it, it's, always, uh, it, it's always a possibility you have to consider. Uh, finally on the show today, uh, this was a segment or an ongoing uh, kind of series here on the show that, that I started a while back, right around the end of June. Uh, and that was previewing the the expectations, goals, and disappointment standards for the new coaches in the conference. Um, already did uh, Jake Dickert up at Washington State, and that was a while ago. Um, but the reason that this segment got kind of cut off for a time being be, for the for uh, I'm going to try and remember how to speak English here. The reason that I stopped doing these for a little while, there was this little thing that happened. USC and UCLA decided just like leave the conference altogether. So that that took some precedent here, but now uh, it's starting to settle down, and we can get back into kind of 2022 goals, expectations, and whatnot. And at Kalen DeBoer in year one, uh, we'll go expectations, a goal, and then a disappointment standard. I don't think the expectations for Washington this year can be too high because things went so wrong in 2021 in so many ways. You needed a complete reboot. It was. I'm glad they they got rid of Jimmy Lake because it was not going well, and it should have gone a lot better than it did. But that was clearly a mess, and that was the, the correct decision. You know, I I appreciate it when conferences or when teams within the conference that I'm covering and also supporting here uh, on Locked On Pac-12 are willing to make those sorts of decisions where they step up and say, nope, this isn't good enough, cutting you out. And I thought that was the right move. We'll see if DeBoer is the right hire. It's off to a pretty good recruiting start. But, you know, through three games, they should be two and one because they got Kent State, Portland State, then Michigan State. That should be two wins followed by a loss. I think overall, a good goal for Washington after a 4-8 2021, and now they've lost a couple of NFL-caliber players in Gordon and McDuffie, the DBs, who went in the first and second round of the Chiefs and Bears, respectively. I think if you can get around 500 then you'll be in good shape. Notice, I didn't say get to 500. I think if you can get around 500, you're going to be in good shape. Like, if you get to 6-6, six and six, I think that's a good year for Washington this season because the roster is going to need, I think, another year or two of, of good recruits coming in to have the, the depth of players to be able to compete with, with the other teams in the conference. But if they go 5-7 and seven this year, I think that's a solid year one because you're getting better than you were last year. If they go four and eight again, I don't think it'd be a total letdown. Uh, I think it would be slightly disappointing, but I don't think it'd be concerning. I, I wouldn't be raising the alarm bells there if they go four and eight again. Um, but I think if you can get to five and seven or six and six, I think that's a reasonable goal for Washington fans to have. Just given where where they're at in the season that they're coming off of, I think that would make you feel pretty darn good about where DeBoer is going. And if you're expecting a faster turnaround, I'd encourage you to just go look at any coach who's turned around a program. Nick Saban in his first year at Alabama lost to Louisiana Monroe. Dabo Sweeney was at Clemson for a long, long time before he got to the college football playoff in a national championship game. Turnarounds can take quite a while. Even in the transfer portal era, it's something that that has to be given time to develop. And, you know, if they were to get over 500 this year, I would be blown away. I think that would be an outstanding year one. I don't expect that to happen. But if they're if they're at five or six wins, 
I think Husky fans can look at Kalen DeBoer and say, okay, th- this guy seems to know what he's doing, have us going on the right track, and then you look to improve again in the following year. Uh, I think the only you know major disappointment, and again, I- I'm giving him a good amount of leeway because uh, I'm on the whole pretty low on Washington this year. If he were to put up a record worse than 2021, like if they went three and nine or two and ten, it'd be concerning. I don't think it'd be full on panic mode yet. Mike Leach in his first year at Washington State went three and nine. Now that's a tougher place to coach than at UW, and I think the standards that the Huskies have in Seattle are uh, stricter than those that the Cougars have up in Pullman. And given the history of the two programs, justifiably so. But the first year is not always indicative of how things are going to go because Mike Leach, year one, three and nine. By the time he uh, left, I think it was eight and something, but he had an 11 win season in there in uh, in Pullman with the Cougs. So it can take some time, but I, I don't think Washington, given that you've got two easy wins to start the year, you, you shouldn't be worse than last year. If you go four and eight again, okay. But if you go three and nine or two and 10 somehow, that, that would be a pretty big disappointment. So I think a goal is to get around 500, right? At least five wins. Anything above that I think is a plus in his first year. And if you're worse than last year's record, that would be, that would be considered a disappointment. Not time to, you know, get a different head coach, but that would certainly be a disappointment. I appreciate everyone listening. See you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.